Monday nights are for moose in the house. Now that sounds like nonsense to you, so let me explain. Uh, my wife has been coaching my daughter Emma's volleyball team this fall, and practices are on Monday nights. And so that means I, on Monday nights, the rhythm kind of goes like this. I get home from work, and, and Emma and Helen leave for volleyball practice, and I'm there hanging out with Charlie, my son, and Clara, my daughter. And uh, so the way it usually goes is I eat dinner, and as I'm finishing up dinner, we'll turn on Monday night football. And my son Charlie will sit in the chair, and he'll watch Monday night football, and then I'll ask Clara. I'll say, Clara, uh, what do you want to do before bedtime? Do you want to play a game? Do you want to play Monopoly Junior? Monopoly Junior. She calls it Junior. Do you want to play Junior? Uh, or... Do you want to play Moose in the House? Now, Moose in the House is a fantastic game. It's a card game that you need to learn how to play. It, the object of the game is to put a moose in your opponent's house. And whoever has the most mooses, moosen, meese, flock of moose in their house, Loses. It's so fun. You should play. Go get that game. Anyway, that's how it has gone this fall. Claire, what game do you want to play? How about Moose in the House? Well, something happened this last week that was very interesting. So this week, I get home from work. Helen and Emma leave for practice like always. And I'm finishing dinner and I turn on Monday Night Football. And Charlie sits in the chair next to me and he starts watching. But before I can say a word, Clara goes to the bookshelf and she grabs Moose in the house and she brings it over where I'm sitting and she sets it on the floor and she opens it and she starts dealing cards. Now, I haven't said anything. I never said, what do you want to do? Or she, what she has done is she has noticed a pattern that caused her to perceive the situation and she acted Accordingly, this morning I want to show you a pattern in the book of Genesis. And if we can identify this pattern, it will not only help us read Genesis better, but it will also help us fight temptation and sin in our own lives. This is the pattern of the garden. You can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 42. But before we do that, before we dive into the text, we, we've been uh, in Joseph, looking at the story of Joseph for the last several weeks, and we'll finish it up next week. And before we dive into chapter 42, I want to give you some context. As a matter of fact, I'm about to give you a lot of context. The book of Genesis is, is a masterpiece. It's not a jumbled collection of tall tales from which we can grab some uh, moral truth. There is a sense in which we can read Genesis and learn biblical principles for wise living from Genesis, but, but that's not all that the book is. As a matter of fact, that's not primarily what the book is. There are themes through Genesis that, that run like threads that tie it all together. And one of those themes is the idea of the seed of the woman. And so if you read the book of Genesis like this, it kind of sounds like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created every, everything that he made, he called very good. 
The crown, the crowning glory of God's creation was humanity, for he made them in his own image. He placed the man and the woman in the garden and gave the task of ruling over the rest of creation and multiplying humans across the face of the earth. The, the earth was to be full of the image of God. And as he placed man and woman in the garden, he told Adam, you can eat from any tree. Except one. And there were two trees given names in the garden. One is the tree of life. The other is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The Lord told Adam, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. You will certainly die. Literally dying, you shall die. Well, one day, the serpent was more crafty than any of the other animals in the garden. And he came to Eve and he questioned God's words. Did God really say that you can't eat from any tree? Well, of course not. That's not what God said. He said we can eat from any tree except the one. So then Satan tempts Eve by questioning not only God's words, but questioning his goodness. He doesn't have your best interests at heart. He knows that if you eat of the tree, you'll be like him. He's withholding something from you. And so Eve believes the lies of Satan, and she listens to him. And in so doing, she disbelieves God, and she, and he, and she rejects his word. She eats the fruit, and she gives some to her husband, who's standing right there. And their eyes were opened, and they were ashamed. And they heard the sound of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and Eve hide from God in the bushes. And God says, Adam, where are you? Adam said, I heard you coming, and I was afraid. And did you eat from that tree? And Adam Like a fool, says, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. Fool. Uh, He says, it's the woman's fault, and God, it's also your fault because you gave me the woman. Well, the Lord turns to the woman and says, what is this you have done? She's got no real answer. She says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And so the promise of God was that if they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would surely die. But out of his mercy, God doesn't kill them right away. What he's going to do is he's going to expel them from the garden. He's going he's to take away their access to the tree of life. He kicks them out. But before he kicks them out of the garden, he pronounces judgment and curses on the serpent and the woman and the man. And when he curses the serpent, he sets up the rest of the story of Genesis. And really, he sets up the story of the rest of the Bible. He tells Satan, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. And these words point forward to the day when the seed of the woman will be struck on the heel at the cross of Jesus Christ. But Jesus will crush the head of the serpent when he is crucified and raised from the dead. Throughout the rest of the Bible, you have this struggle between Satan and the seed of the woman. This is the setup for Genesis. And so you're left wondering as you're reading this story after Genesis chapter 3, 
Who will be this this seed who's going to crush the head of the serpent? When will he come? What about Cain and Abel? That's Adam and Eve's kids. Will it be one of them? Well, no, Cain kills Abel. Cain is now seed of the serpent and Abel is dead. Who will it be? Well, then Seth is born. And the story follows Seth's people. And then you get to Noah. And the story follows Noah's people. And then you get to Abraham. And the story follows Abraham's people and Isaac. And now you get to Jacob. The seed of the woman is contained in the people of Jacob. But still the head of the snake has not been crushed. And now Jacob and his sons are living in Canaan in the midst of a deadly famine. If Jacob and his sons are killed because of this famine, what is going to happen to the seed of the woman? What will happen to God's master plan to crush the head of the snake and save the whole world? That brings us to where we are in the story of Joseph. See, nothing catches God by surprise. Long before there was famine in the land, Joseph's brothers hated him and they sold him into slavery. And by a providential turn of events... Joseph finds himself as second in command in Egypt, one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth. And the Lord gives Pharaoh, king of Egypt, gives him some dreams. And Joseph interprets these dreams to mean there's going to be famine in the land. And so Egypt should devise a plan to stockpile food and to save up and prepare for this coming global disaster. And then the famine comes. And the seed of the woman is in danger. God's plan seems to be in danger, but the Lord has a plan. Yes, the famine has spread throughout the whole earth, but Joseph is the one who's selling food to Egypt, but he's also selling food to the whole world. And that takes us to Genesis chapter 42. So we're going to move fast through this chapter. Buckle up. Here we go. Verse 1. When Jacob learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? He said, behold, I've heard that there's grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. Note that statement, that we may live and not die. So ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus, the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came for the famine in the land of Canaan was in the land of Canaan. So Jacob sends his sons to Egypt to buy grain. And the motivation for that is so that we may live and not die. Also make note in verse four, he doesn't want to send Benjamin with them. The last time he sent one of the younger brothers with the older brothers, he didn't come back. He's not real crazy about sending Benjamin along with them. So these are the circumstances under which uh, Joseph's brothers are going to show up in Egypt. Look in verse 6. Now Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now if you've been reading Genesis and you've been reading this story kind of all as one big thing, maybe, maybe um, this makes you think of something. Back in Genesis chapter 37, there's a couple of dreams. And in those dreams that Joseph has, Joseph has a dream that he and his brothers are, are uh, binding some sheaves of wheat. And Joseph stands upright, but the brothers bow down. 
And then he has a second dream. And in this second dream, the sun, the moon, and 11 stars, 11 brothers, 11 stars, bow down to him. He has a dream that he's going to rule and reign over his family. And now, this dream has come true. Verse 7, Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he treated them like strangers and spoke roughly to them. Where do you come from, he said. They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. And Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams that he had dreamed of them, and he said to them, you are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. They said to him, no, my Lord, your servants have come to buy food. We are all sons of one man. We are honest men. Your servants have never been spies. Joseph remembers his brothers, but they do not recognize him. How could they? It's been 20 years. And after all, he doesn't really look like a Hebrew anymore. He looks like an Egyptian. He talks like an Egyptian. What? <laughs> you say it. <laughs> okay. For those at home, if you didn't hear that, he walks like an Egyptian also. Indeed. <laughs> He's clean shaven. He's dressed in Egyptian garb. They haven't seen him in 20 years, but jo- Joseph remembers. And he remembers his dreams. And so uh, Joseph is about to put them through the test. He accuses them of being spies. And the brothers say, no, we're honest men. They're, they're not honest men. They're, they're speaking to the man that they sold into slavery and then went and told their dad he got eaten by a wild animal. They're not honest men, so Joseph is going to continue to test them. Verse 12, he said to them, No, it is the nakedness of the land that you have come to see. And they said, We, your servants, are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more, honest men. But Joseph said to them, It is as I said to you, you are spies. And by this you shall be tested, by the life of Pharaoh. You shall not go from this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you, and let him bring your brother While you all remain confined, that your words may be tested, whether there is truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them together in custody for three days. Joseph is testing his brothers. He's putting them through what he has gone through. They've been placed into jail for something that they did not do. But Joseph wants to see Benjamin, his youngest brother. This is his blood brother. This is the only one of them that he is his full full brother. And he wants to see Benjamin, and he's probably also wondering if they're telling the truth. They've lied about his whereabouts. They said he's no more. They didn't say we sold him into slavery. And now he's wondering, are they telling the truth about Benjamin? Are they lying to me about Benjamin? He wants to see Benjamin's face. And so what Joseph is going to do is sleep on it. And he revises his plan. Verse 18 On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live. Note that again. Do this and you will live. For I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers remain confined 
where you are in custody, and let the rest go and carry grain for the famine of your households, and bring your youngest brother to me. So your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. So he flips the plan a little bit. All right, you all go back. Leave me one of you. You all go back. Go get Benjamin and bring him back. Now, I want, you, I want to call attention to the brothers' incredible reaction in verse 21. Look with me. They said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother. And that we saw the distress of his soul. When he begged us and we did not listen, that is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, did I not tell you not to sin against the boy, but you did not listen. So now there comes a reckoning for his blood. The brothers recognize their wrongdoing. They say it plainly. We are guilty. We didn't answer him when he called out in distress. And now that same distress has come upon us. And Reuben says it flat out. We sinned against our brother. Joseph is putting them through the test. He's giving them a chance to do what they've done before. It's been said that reconciliation involves not only admitting your wrongdoing to the person you have wronged. But also if given the chance to do it again. You don't do it. And that's what Joseph is doing to his brothers. He's giving them the chance to do it again. They can leave one of their brothers behind and go back home to their own benefit. Will they do it again? What will they do? Well, Joseph, upon hearing this confession, look, look how he responds in verse 23. They did not know that Joseph understood them, for there was an interpreter between them. After all, he talks like an Egyptian. Verse 24, then he turned away from them and wept. And he returned to them, and he spoke to them, and he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. So Simeon is the one that's going to stay behind. And now Joseph is going to, tell, he's going to sweeten the deal. Look in verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain and to replace every man's money in his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. And this was done for them. You see what he's done? They came to buy food. They buy the food. He gives them the food and then without their knowing replaces their money. So now it's going to look like they're thieves. Verse 26, they loaded their donkeys with their grain and departed. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his money in the mouth of his sack. He said to his brothers, my money has been put back. Here it is in the mouth of my sack. As At this, their hearts failed them. And they turned trembling to one another saying, what is this God has done to us? Their response to this discovery is threefold. Their hearts failed them, literally their hearts went out. They trembled and they asked a question. What is this God has done? God is the one who has done this. Our sin has been discovered and we are going to have to pay for it. So they go home, they arrive back home and they tell everything to Jacob. We had to leave Simeon. He thought we were spies. Now we got to bring Benjamin so we can go get Simeon. 
And as they begin to unpack, here's what happens. Verse 35, skip down. They, as they emptied their sacks, behold, every man's bundle of money was in his sack. And when they and their father saw that their bundles of money, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. And Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin. All this has come against me. They explain everything to their dad. And then it comes out that they've all got their money. They're not only going to be accused of being spies, they're going to be accused of being thieves. They cannot go back to Egypt. So in Jacob's mind, I've already lost Joseph. He's dead. Now I've lost Simeon. He's dead over my dead body. Will you take Benjamin back to Egypt? It's not happening. We're left at the end of chapter 42 wondering what is going to happen. Is Simeon going to stay in Egypt? Is he really gone? Is Joseph really going to stay in Egypt and let, let this unfold this way? What is going to happen? You have to come back next week. Uh, next week we'll finish up the story. But in Genesis chapter 42, Joseph's brothers are confronted with their sin. And I believe that we are intended to see their plight as an outworking of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. I believe these two stories are closely connected. I believe that Joseph's brothers are in the garden. Let me show you why I think that. Four, four ways I, I, I see this connection. First, in both stories, the main characters reject God's plan. In the Garden of Eden, the man and woman were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The serpent questioned God's word, and then he questioned God's heart. And eventually, the man and the woman decide that God is either wrong or he has bad intentions. And so they sin against God. They reject his word. They reject his plan. Well, then fast forward to Genesis, uh, this story about Joseph. And in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph has two dreams. In both of these dreams, it's suggested that Joseph is going to reign over his brothers and his mother and his father. And Joseph explains later that when a dream is doubled like that, that means it's going to happen. God has fixed it. He's going to bring it to pass very soon. So in other words, it was God's plan all along to bring Joseph ahead so that he would reign over his brothers and mother and father. That was the plan, that he would reign over them for their good, so that they would survive. It was for their good. But Joseph's brothers wanted no part of that plan. So out of hatred and jealousy, they sell him into slavery, and they reject God's plan. The second way I see these two stories connected is by the theme of life and death. In Genesis chapter 3, there were two trees that were given names, the knowledge the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but also the tree of life. If they ate of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, of good and evil, then they would be cut off from the tree of life. In order to live and not die, a certain action had to be avoided. But Adam and Eve did sin. And they were forced out of the garden, away from the tree of life. 
Life and death is also in, in chapter 42 here with these brothers. It's the reason that they're supposed to go to Egypt to buy grain, so that they'll live and not die. It, it's the reason why Joseph uh, sends his brother and kind of changes his plan and gives them a chance to prove that they're not spies. He says that I want to send you so that you'll live and not die. Prove yourselves. And at the end of the chapter, Jacob says everybody, everybody's dead. Joseph's dead. Simeon's dead. You send Benjamin, he's going to die. And if he dies, I'll die. In order to live and not die, a certain action must be taken. A third way these stories are connected is through the, the reaction that takes place when sin comes to light. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam gives the reason why. They're hiding in the bushes. Why are they hiding in the bushes? He says, because I was afraid. Now this word for afraid in Genesis 3 is the same word that's used to describe the brother's reaction in chapter 42 when they find out that the money was in their bags. It says, they were afraid. It's the same word used by Joseph. To describe why he's given his brothers another chance. He says, let me give you another chance. For I fear God. There is something to be said about the fear of the Lord. Proverbs tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. To fear the Lord means to understand who it is you're dealing with. When you fear the Lord, this fear directs your actions And so the Apostle Peter tells us in his first letter that as we live our lives, as we sojourn temporarily on this planet, that we should conduct ourselves with a little bit of fear. Yes, our uh, God is our Father, but God is also our judge. And we will all stand before him one day with our deeds laid bare. And here the brothers are standing with their deeds laid bare. They have sinned against their brother. They have sinned against God. And now they're being judged for it. The fourth connection is a question. When the brothers are confronted with the money in their bag, they are afraid. And they ask the question, what is this God has done to us? Well, When Adam blames his wife for giving him the fruit, the Lord says to the woman, what is this you have done? And as a matter of fact, that question, what is this you have done, is a question that resounds through the book of Genesis. All with Jacob and and his, his sons, his son's family members are all, this question is in their story. Abraham sins against his wife, and he sins against Abimelech. When sin comes to the top and everybody sees it, Abimelech asks Abraham, what is this you have done? Abraham's son, Isaac, same thing. He sins against wife, he sins against Abimelech. And when sin comes to the top and everybody sees it, Abimelech asks Isaac, what is this you have done? Isaac's son, Jacob, he gets lied to. He marries a woman that he did not want to marry. And when sin comes to the top and the deception is revealed, he asks the person who sinned against him, what is this you have done? And now it's the brother's turn. Here in Genesis 42, they are the guilty party and they flip the question, what is this God has done? They know they are guilty. 
They know they've been found out. But not by their brother. They don't know that that's their brother that's standing up there before them. They know they're being judged by God. Reuben said, we've sinned against him. And their sin has caught up with them. So by these four links, I think Joseph's brothers find themselves in a Garden of Eden experience. The brothers are in the garden. The curse of sin is alive in the Joseph narrative. But look, God's still working on it. He's in the process of bringing about the seed of the woman who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And so, this morning I want to suggest to you that as the brothers have had their own garden experience, you and I face similar circumstances. The brothers were in the garden. So are we. Just like Adam and Eve, just like Joseph's brothers, you and I are faced with the opportunity to believe God's words or to reject them. The serpent asked the woman, did God really say? And you and I are daily tempted with that question. Did God really say? And we either don't know our Bibles well enough, or what is even more likely is that we know the Bible, we just don't really like what it has to say. Did God really say, love your neighbor as yourself? Did did God really say, turn the other cheek? Did God really say, count others as more significant than yourself? Did God really say, the two become one, and what God has joined, let not man separate? Did God really say, honor the emperor even if you didn't vote for him? Did God really say, whoever looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart? Did God really say, do not give up meeting together, but encourage one another more and more as you see the day approaching? Not less and less, more and more. Did God really say that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil? Did God really say, do not be anxious? Did God really say, forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you? Did God really say, be at peace with everyone as long as it depends on you? Did God really say those things? And daily, maybe even moment by moment, we have the chance to either receive or to reject God's words. You and I are also faced with the choice between life and death. To move away from the garden is to move away from the presence of God. And to move away from the presence of God is to move away from life. When we choose to sin, we choose to die. For the wages of sin is death. And Moses told the people before they were to enter the promised land, he he told them, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today. I've set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. 
To obey the Lord is life, but to disobey is death. And we are faced with that choice every single day, multiple times per day. And you and I are also faced with the knowledge that we cannot escape our sin. There is nothing missed. There is nothing winked at. There's nothing swept under the rug. God really did say that every careless word will be judged. He really did say that everyone will be judged based on what he or she has done, whether good or evil. Jesus really did say, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. It is appointed for every person to die once and then comes judgment. And what is done in secret will be shouted from the rooftops. There is no amount of hiding. There is no amount of forgetting. There's no amount of justifying ourselves. There is no amount of letting time pass that can erase the wicked deeds that we have done. No amount of doing good things can counterbalance the evil we have done Our records are covered in black marks. We cannot escape our sin, and we cannot escape judgment. But listen to me. Our God is not only a God of judgment. Our God is a God of salvation. See, where there's a sea... He makes a highway. Where there was death, He creates life. Our God makes a habit of taking dead things and bringing them back to life. In the midst of judgment, our God saves. You see, there's another garden in the Bible. And after Jesus had eaten the Passover meal with his disciples, and after Judas left early to go betray him, Jesus walked over the valley and he went into the hillside to his favorite little garden, the Garden of Gethsemane. It was his favorite spot to pray. He knew that his time had come. He knew that he was about to be brutally beaten. He knew that he was about to be crucified. He knew... That he was about to bear the blame of the sin of the world. And in the garden, Jesus poured out his heart to his Father. Jesus Christ, our King. He he prayed to God. And do you know what he said? He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus, our King. He said, I don't want to do this. If there's any other way... Can we please do that? Here in the garden, Jesus has the opportunity to receive or to reject God's plan. What will he do? Oh, you've read the story. You know what he did? Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. And so... 
Jesus went to the cross and he fulfilled the plan of God. Jesus even said, what am I supposed to say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it's, it's for this very reason that I have come. And so Jesus embraced God's plan for his life. He embraced God's word. And he walked in the will of God. And in so doing, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. Yeah, the serpent struck his heel, but he dealt the mortal blow that ultimately defeated our great enemy, Satan, sin, and death. He is the seed of the woman. He is the seed of Abraham. He is the seed of King David. He is the promised seed who crushes the head of the serpent. Look, Adam and Eve were in the garden. Joseph's brothers, they were in the garden. Jesus was in the garden. You and I find ourselves in the garden every single day, facing the same temptations, the same struggles. We face the opportunity to choose between life and death. Will we trust God's word? Will we trust his heart? Do we really believe that he intends good for us? Or do we just know better? I I know better. Do we reject his word? Look, we do sometimes. We inevitably do. And when we inevitably fail, what will we do? Will we hide from him in fear in the bushes? Or will we, by faith, hide ourselves in Christ? There is no doubt our sins will find us out. There is no doubt that we will stand before God in the judgment. Where is your hope this morning? Where is it? When you are confronted with your sin, what is your response? Listen to me. This morning, I'm pleading with you. Turn to the Lord Jesus in faith. Not just when you're eight years old and getting baptized, but turn to the Lord Jesus in faith every single day, every single garden moment. Turn to the Lord Jesus in faith. He is the one who defeated temptation in the garden. He is the one who died to take your blame away. He is the one who will save you. Trust him to save. And he will do it. Father, we submit ourselves to you. We have opportunity that we face every day to believe you or to not. Oh God, help our faith. I pray for the people in this room. There's a group of people who don't trust you at all. They never have. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir in them a desire to to place their faith in you for the first time. Lord, there's a group of people in the room right now who are walking in shame and hiding from you. Oh, Lord, show them that you want to forgive. You are eager. You are eager to forgive. And Lord, there's a group of people in the room right now who think their sin's never going to find them out. Lord, convince them that, that it's just not true. We look to you in faith.